So at the time that Jesus was born, the Bible says that there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks in the fields nearby. And they were out there at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And they said, this will be a sign to you. You'll find him lying in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then a whole company of the heavenly hosts came and appeared before them, saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So the shepherds said, we got to go see if what we were just told is true. And the Bible says, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him. Did you hear that? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him, concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Fast forward 33 years now, Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life. He's died a sinless death. He's risen from the grave. He's resurrected. He's ascended to the Father. And the disciples are trying to work out what it means to live as Christians without Jesus being physically present, but being in the full power of the Holy Spirit. And so they were moving around doing things in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John at one point, they were... They, were, they healed this guy who had been crippled from birth. He had never walked. And he was asking them for money. And they said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. And he got up and he walked. Well, this really ticked off the religious people of the day, the Sanhedrin they were called. And they called Peter and John before them to give an account of this terrible thing they had done. And they threatened them. And the Bible says, after further threats, they called him in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey God or obey men. But as for us, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. The fourth actionable quality of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ is witness is bearing witness to the things that you've seen and heard. We've been getting real serious around here, it seems like, about moving past Jesus just being Savior and getting in to a a relationship of obedience with Him where He is also Lord. And we heard Him say, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so we've been talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus, and, we, and I'm saying this morning that in addition, in addition to being a person of prayer, because if you're not talking to him, you're not following him, in addition to being a person of the Word of God, a person who immerses himself in the Bible and lets the Bible command him, and in addition to being a, a person of worship, which we talked about last week, a person who enters into the worship of the living God, I am saying that the fourth actionable quality of a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ is that you are a witness. That you bear witness to your encounters with Christ and your experiences with Christ. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. 
I'm going to read for you the first 11 verses as our passage, our text this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. The Bible says there, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Lord in heaven, we open this part of the Bible believing that you have led us here because you want to speak to our hearts and you want to engage us by the power of this same Holy Spirit you speak of here. And so we invite you, Lord, to come and to grip our attention, to teach us from your Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, and that you would use them for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you go ahead and be seated. So one of the non-negotiable qualities of an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ is that he or she is a witness. We bear witness to the things that we have seen and heard. This is something that is a universal call on all of us. It's not just optional for those who are kind of really turned on for Jesus. But I think it would be important as we go down this teaching this morning that I make a distinction between, uh, between the difference between uh, a witness and an evangelist. So there's an important distinction between witness and an evangelist. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for example, it says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is to everybody. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. So this is a universal call on every, every believer. You will be my witnesses. You're not a believer if you don't have the Holy Spirit. What? There's not optional ways of being a believer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ... You have only encountered him in the Holy Spirit. God the Father is not here, is he? Is God the Son here? No, the Holy Spirit is here. That's the only only expression of God any of us have ever had, is the Holy Spirit. Whether you call yourself charismatic Pentecostal, makes no difference to me. I don't care. If you know God, you know the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to know him. And he says, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to do what? To be my witnesses. To be my witnesses. That's the point of the power. Is to be witnesses. 
The point of the revelation, the manifestation of the power of God in our lives is so that we experience Him. And in experiencing Him, then we have something to bear witness to. Because if you haven't seen anything, you can't talk about it, right? So bearing witness is a universal call on every believer. There's no getting out of it. By contrast, an evangelist is someone who has a particular ministry to which they're called. And it's an appointment from God. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, As he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. And in this, in this revelation from God for us about the nature of specific ministries in the church, this is sometimes called the five-fold ministry of the church. Now, that's, that's a fine thing to call it, unless you know Greek, which is the, actually the pastors and teachers is a, is a compound word, so it's actually the fourfold ministry of the church. Doesn't matter. Just thought I'd show off. <laughs> Paid a lot of money to know that. But the point is, you're seeing it, aren't you? That God calls some people to be evangelists. In other words, there's a call on their life to be constantly and consistently about the thing of presenting the gospel of Jesus to lost people in such a way that they come. And they come to know him as Savior and Lord. That's what an evangelist does. Not everybody's called to be an evangelist. Is everyone called to be an apostle? Is everyone called to be a prophet? Is everyone called to be a pastor? Is everyone called to be a teacher? No, we have specific callings on our lives. And some of you are called to be evangelists. In other words, you get up in the morning to go on a seek-and-find mission for lost people so that you can present the gospel to them in such a way that they come to know Christ. That's a specific kind of a ministry. Now, by contrast, everyone is called to be a witness. Everyone is called to bear witness. Not necessarily is everyone called to be an evangelist, and I think some people are intimidated from the whole process of bearing witness because they think that they have to be an effective evangelist in the process. What we're all called to do is to bear witness to the things that we have seen and heard. And while not everyone is called to the ministry of evangelism, there's absolutely no exception to bearing witness. And one of these is not better than the other. One of these is not better than the other. In fact, being an evangelist is dependent on everyone bearing witness. That if everybody bears witness to the things that they've seen and heard, without any particular focus on evangelism, you just talk about what you have seen and heard in Christ. When the evangelists come along, they find that the ground is already all plowed up and the Holy Spirit can work through them to lead people to Christ. But when we keep silent about our faith, for whatever reason, when we keep silent about the things that we have seen and heard, the evangelist comes along and finds the ground very hard, very tough. One is not better than the other. They live as compliments to one another. But what is clear is what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You hear that? 
That's a universal call. We always have to be ready to bear witness when the opportunity presents itself. But I want you to notice something. The connection between the lordship of Jesus and the call to bear witness. That is not by accident. But set apart Christ as Lord. When Jesus becomes your Lord, you're going to see stuff. When Jesus becomes your Lord, and not some mysterious Savior thought, when you start living in that kind of dynamic, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord, and he orders your steps, and you see him move, well, then you're going to have something to say. So the connection between the Lordship of Jesus and the the effectiveness of bearing witness could not be any more clear than in a single verse. So to be a witness for Jesus, what does it really mean to be a witness? What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus Christ? Well, first, I think it means you have a story to tell. You've seen something. Who is called as a witness? Oh, you were there. You saw that I subpoena you in the name of the United States government to come and to sit and give your account because you saw something. I'm not asking you because you weren't there. But you, we need you. You've seen something. That's what a witness is, is it not? Now the witness, when they sit on the witness stand, unless they're paid witness, they have no real reason to try to persuade anybody. They're just supposed to tell what they saw and then let the justice system do its work. Right? That's the way it's meant to work. Well, as witnesses, beloved, if we've seen stuff, if we have experience in Jesus, we should share that, and I don't care if you believe me or not. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to do something with it through the ministry of evangelism. But my, what is incumbent on me is to bear witness. So it means that you have a story to tell. Second, it means that you are committed to telling the truth. And the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Sometimes I think Christians are the best exaggerators. Oh, I think so. I've been in the same situation that I heard someone give an account of later, and it's like, really? It's like we're trying to help God. We're trying to make it bigger. In retrospect, it was bigger. We don't have to do that. In fact, I think when we exaggerate the truth, we're saying one of two things. Either I don't believe in myself, or God needs my help. And when we exaggerate the truth, then I think we pollute the very power that comes with a true story. So we have to tell the truth. You say, well, I don't have much to say. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. You can only speak of the things you've seen and heard. If you haven't seen or heard anything, I'd say we need to talk about that. I think part of telling the truth means to have a basic understanding of the core gospel message, the truth. Because even though we are simply called to bear witness, that there are opportunities that will come up as you walk in the context of the power of the Holy Spirit 
where you'll bear witness to something and that person will say, okay, how do I get in? And though you may not be an evangelist, you need to be ready in the event that that happens. Though you may not be looking for that to happen, though you may even be praying that it never happens, you need to be ready, yes? Because at that moment, you can't say, okay, hang on, i got to call an evangelist. Or you can't say, oh, well, I want you to go talk to so-and-so. You need to have a basic understanding of the core gospel truth, yes? And I'm going to tell you how you can remember it in three simple statements. Repeat after me. Good news? Bad news? Good news. You're done. You're ready. Good news, bad news, good news. The good news is that God loves you. God loves you, and he wants to have a father relationship with you as your perfect heavenly father. That's the good news. The good news is that God wants to walk with you. God wants to be your father, carry you through this life until it's time for you to end in this body, and then you can be with him forever in a place called heaven. That's the good news, yes? That's good news. But I got bad news. Sin has come and has interrupted that relationship, has broken that relationship. The bad news is, is that sin is in the world and that we have been active participants in it, correct? And as sinners, we are separated from a holy God. That's the very bad news. But I got good news. Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, came and gave his life on the cross for us, and that by coming to him as Savior, surrendering to him as Lord, he will bring forgiveness for our sins and lead us to heaven. That's the good news. Good news, bad news, good news. There you go. Think you could remember that? Good news, bad news, good news. That's it. Thank you. Because we're people who are committed to telling the truth and telling the truth about what we've seen and heard and being ready to convey the truth when the opportunity comes. And um, I also think that to be a witness for Jesus Christ, we should say, is not a license to be a jerk. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been victimized by some person who came toward you in some judgmental, high and mighty way? That ain't right, is it? I, I mean, they come to you and they're hammering on you about this or they're hammering on you about that. And they're talking to you about Jesus. And don't you just want to say to them, do you even know him? I mean, do you even know Jesus? I, I should think that if you knew him, you wouldn't be this way. I'm not saying that for the evangelist, there's never a time of confrontational evangelism. That's a fascinating thing for the evangelist. But what I'm saying is that in the context of our bearing witness to people in our family, in our work world, in our neighborhood, in our associations with people, this is not a license to be a jerk. 1 Peter 3.15 that I showed you before said... In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. You know what the next line is? It says, but always do this with gentleness and respect. That's what the Bible says. But always do this with gentleness and respect. 
You know, I, I, I think we're in a space in our society right now that's very dangerous. With respect to our being Christians and believing what we believe and knowing what we know and uh, having our convictions and being able to be vocal in our society is getting tough, isn't it? Some of you work in places where you're not allowed to say Merry Christmas. Huh. Are you allowed to say unhappy Christmas or is it the Christmas part that they're after? Have a miserable Christmas? Why don't you try that and say, well, I didn't say Merry Christmas. Have a sucky Christmas. I don't know. See what happens, right? I want to make a distinction in the teaching this morning between something we're calling tolerance and something called syncretism. Because there's a clarion call in our culture for tolerance, isn't there? When you go to work and you hear you have seminars, perhaps, some of you, on tolerance. 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 And as we live in an increasingly pluralistic world, different religions, different lifestyles, then we're called to tolerance. Something called tolerance. And the problem is, is that we're not defining tolerance the way tolerance is meant to be understood. But we're defining something called syncretism that we're calling tolerance. Now, tolerance is respecting a person's right to believe what they want to believe and live the way they want to live however that might be, as long as they don't injure someone else, right? That's tolerance. I'm actually a very tolerant person. Knock yourself out. But don't ask me to condone it or support it, because that's syncretism. We're calling it tolerance, and syncretism is something that is the amalgamation of a number of different beliefs or lines of thought into one thing so that all the truths come into one space so it's no truth at all anymore. And we're trying to make one big happy family out of, out of ideologies that live in fundamental conflict with each other. They cannot be reconciled. And so somebody has to compromise to live in this tolerance, this syncretism, and why is it always the Christian who has to compromise? Why is that? There's a huge difference between the two. And I believe it's really creating the demise of our nation. We're giving away the farm. I think I'm a very tolerant person. I'm a, I, I respect a person's fundamental right to believe whatever they want to believe. I really do. Live however you want to live. Knock yourself out. I also respect a person's right to decide to spend eternity in hell. I think that's pretty tolerant. I respect a person's right to hear the gospel and make the decision to go to hell. 
I respect a person's fundamental autonomy and their right to do that. I don't condone it. I don't hope for it. And I'm not going to follow them to hell. And I'm going to keep as many people as I can from going to hell with them. But I will tolerate their right to believe that. I think what we're calling tolerance is really spineless compromise. Why would we need to be tolerant unless we had convictions? Hello? Tolerance is only required when there are people of different ideologies. And what's happening is the amalgamation of so many ideologies and the the heritage of this country, the Christian foundation of this country, is being asked to compromise in order to to make place for that, and we're calling it tolerance. Well, why can't you just be more tolerant? I'll tell you why I can't be more tolerant. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I didn't make that up. I'm not even sure I like that, but I know it's true. My son Brian and I were having breakfast together a few weeks ago, and we were talking about this at Bob Evans, and it was like, uh, oh, wouldn't it be great if we were wrong? Wouldn't it be just great if when we get to heaven, everybody's there? That's not what he said. Tolerance or Compromise. One of my favorite pictures from our family photo album is this one. It's taken in 1990. It's a picture of me and uh, my three older boys. And uh, it's my son, Brian, who is, his, and his family are, of course, part of this church, and he's been leading Gideon's Army here 5.30 Wednesday morning, men, for years. He's the one to my immediate right. I know, look at the hair. I know, look at my hair. I mean, it goes all the way up. I mean, just... (laughs) Yeah, children, there was a day. (laughs) We were actually vacationing. Brian was a senior in high school, and uh, we were vacationing on uh, Assateague Island out in Virginia, which is uh, where the wild ponies are and stuff. And we went camping out there. It was a blast. But you'll notice the enormous can of uh, insect repellent in my pocket. Oh, my gosh. They, they called it the Assateague Air Force. The mosquitoes were this big. I mean. And so we were just out there. I don't remember. We were screwing around. And Karen must have been behind with, uh, with Betsy and Brad and saw that and said, I got to take that picture. This is a cool picture. Now think about the day. You know, this was pre-phone, so she had to use a camera <laughs> with film. Yeah, and there were only, you had to be really careful of your shots because there were only 36, right? And so that must have been a really important thing for her to see because she took a picture of that. I love that shot. And you know what I love so much about it, don't you? 
my senior in high school son with his cool shirt on that says sold out to Jesus. He was sold out then, he's sold out now. Got a beautiful believing wife and they have four kids who are all sold out for Jesus. That ain't a bad day. The thing about that shirt is I know what would happen if a kid wore that shirt to high school today. Be called into the principal's office and he would be told either to take it off or turn it inside out for the day. Many high schools would. Because you can't do that. That's intolerant. That's intolerant. In spite of the fact that a Muslim girl can wear the hijab, she has to. In spite of the fact that a kid can put a little statue of Buddha or Vishnu or something on his desk because it's his good luck charm, you, you wear a shirt in that says Jesus died for your sins and you're getting called. Is that tolerance? That's syncretism. And it's time for the church to speak up. It's time for us to take up our place as witnesses of Jesus Christ. How do you do this? I understand why this is a question, because I'm like you. I want someone to show me how to do everything. Can you give me a method for it? But what I need to tell you is that bearing witness is not about methodology. It's about opening your mouth and talking about naturally about the things you've seen and heard. Evangelism, of course, there's, method, there's good methodology to it. But bearing witness is a natural... You don't really believe me. Okay, I want, I want to show you why, how this is true. I want you to watch me, okay? Are you watching me? You don't sound like you're watching me. Ding! Okay, now I want you to turn to somebody and tell them what I just did. Go. Oh, can't you feel the pressure? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I can bear witness to that. Can't you just feel the devil standing up against you right now? Aren't you afraid you're going to be rejected when you tell this story? Hello? That's what bearing witness is. It's not evangelism. It's just bearing witness so the evangelist can come along and do the thing. We need to take the pray. It's not about knowing the answers to all the questions. I mean, how many of you are like, oh, I'd share something, but they're going to ask me something. I don't know how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you was no hesitation just to tell what you said. What if they asked me how many steps it took him to get there and back? I don't know that. You just talked, right? Have you been with Jesus? Have you encountered the risen Christ? If you have, then you've got something to talk about. If you haven't, you've got much bigger problems than any of this. Because bearing witness is simply talking about the things you've seen and heard naturally. This week alone, I prayed for, I prayed for somebody who was healed on the spot. Boom. They went to the doctor and had it verified. Boom. Right in front of me. Boom. I can tell you about that. I don't even care if you believe me. Doesn't matter to me if you believe me or not. My son Brad, our youngest son, 
he and his family, they live out in Zanesville now. They're part of the vineyard out there. And on Wednesday nights, uh, my son Brad and a guy from the church, they just go around Zanesville and they pray for people. He texted me Wednesday night uh, and he said, Dad, he said we prayed, three people got healed tonight. So I'm like, what? And I call him. And he says, oh, it's great. He said, we just were offering to pray for people, and three people got healed in front of us. He said, one guy was, could scarcely walk, he said. He'd had this condition in his knee for a long time. I don't remember how long he said. But he could scarcely walk. He had a doctor's appointment set up later on and all that stuff. And he said, we prayed for him. And he said his knee was dramatically healed in front of us, that he had no pain, and he walked like a young man. Okay. So I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, and again, there's no responsibility on me to persuade you. Witnesses just say what they've seen and heard, right? I kind of think if you don't believe it, it's not my problem. <laughs> Bearing witness is naturally is a naturally supernatural outflow of someone who is encountering and experiencing the living God. So the big question for you this morning is, so how do I consistently experience a living God? I'm going to give you three things real quickly. You're going to recognize them. The first is to pray. Pray. You're never going to experience God if you don't develop a prayer life. You're going to think you do, or you're going to live vicariously off the stories like that one or something like that. Until you start praying, you're not going to be, you're not going to be in the right place. Secondly, it's the Word. Hmm. When you're in the Word of God, you start to get excited and expect things, don't you? I love to read the Word of God, and I think you should do this too, and see Him do something and go, is there some reason we couldn't do that now? Could we do that now? That's what the Word does. And then the third, guess what it is? Worship, exactly. Exactly. Worship. When you enter into worship and begin to experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in worship, then when you do these three things together, what happens is you begin to get a database of stuff to talk about. And then you're going to bear witness. And if you're saying, I haven't really encountered Christ in the way that you're talking or encountered God the way you're talking about my guess is that you're not consistent in, these, in the trifecta here, right? So, at the end of the day, you don't really need a methodology. You just need experience. At the end of the day, to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ, you only need two things. You need to know the urgency of the matter and why your testimony is important to the world. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, This is what will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Do you want to know what's next? It says, This is what will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Do you want to know what's next? He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That doesn't sound like the American Jesus, does it? It's the Bible, Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. On the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at 
among all those who have believed. And he said to them, this includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. That they became people of God, followers of Jesus, because of Paul's testimony. And that's what's waiting to happen from the words of your mouth. As you bear witness to the things that you have seen and heard, God will use that. The evangelists will come along. You may have occasion that someone turns to you and says, okay, how do I get in? Good news, bad news, good news. You're ready. You're ready for this. But at the end of the day, what you also need, absolutely, is you need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Call yourself any label you like with regard to Christians and the Holy Spirit. It's so silly to me. I just see that God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be what? My witnesses. We need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness. Some of you are evangelists. Some of you are more like me. You're just witnesses. I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor. Doesn't mean I don't evangelize. Just means I don't get up in the morning to do that. I get up in the morning to guard the flock. That's my role. Some of you are evangelists. Some of you are witnesses. But we're all called to witness. Some of you will remember Alexander Adelson, who was here with his wife, Svetlana, from Jerusalem a few years ago, and they did that wonderful, wonderful Seder dinner for us. Oh, it was fantastic. What a nice couple, tremendous couple, and they're part of a ministry called Jews for Jesus, and they live in Jerusalem. And Taryn brought them in to share this with us, and they stayed in our home, which was such a blessing. And Svetlana, who hardly spoke a word of English, was so fun just to, just to have that time. And so maybe some of you also, you received their monthly newsletter. And, uh, you know, we also have the luxury of having some personal correspondence with them. And this is, this, Alexander is an evangelist. I mean, this guy is a fearless evangelist in a place that's pretty, pretty tough sledding. And in his last... So he's out holding banners out in Jerusalem that say Yeshua HaMashiach or something about Jesus on it. And he said this, I love holding banners and watching people's reactions as they read the words while they're driving by. One truck stopped, and the driver spoke with me about Yeshua and wanted to know more. He gave me his number to stay in touch with him and to send him more literature. Several others stopped their cars as well to ask questions about Yeshua. I am surprised and encouraged. I love this. He's always so positive. I am surprised and encouraged by the positive reactions that I'm seeing to the banners, even to the negative responses. (laughs) And he says, people are seeing the signs and thinking about the message. Later on, he says, in the middle of the campaign, I met with one of the managers of the place where the team was staying. I hadn't planned to talk to him about Yeshua, but he started the conversation and asked lots of questions. The meeting turned into an evangelistic visit. We gave him a New Testament and other books because he said he reads at least two books a week. He was impressed, catch this, I love this, he was impressed by the behavior of our group and it compelled him to connect with us on a deeper spiritual level. He was so curious about our team that he looked for us on Facebook 
and said that he was impressed with our page and the information that he discovered. He said, quote, If you are able to positively impact an atheist like me, it's already a good sign. Please pray for Obed as we continue to converse with him. Is that cool? I mean, that's an evangelist, right? Standing out there with the sign, downtown Jerusalem. That is so cool. But how many of you are saying, that's also a little intimidating? That's just a little bit frightening. Okay, terrifying. So, I told you one of the things that you need to do is pray. And these days I'm praying for two things. I'm praying that God will make me bold. And I'm praying that God will tell me the people to bear witness to. Who has he prepared already that, that, you know, that will benefit? And so those, those are my two prayers. Make me bold and show me who. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. In the closing moments of our time together, We invite you to come because it's you that we need. You said we would receive power from you and then we would be your witnesses. So we know fundamentally we are not equipped to bear witness until we encounter the power of your Holy Spirit. We believe in you, Father, and we believe that you sent your Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. We believe that our sins are forgiven through the mercies of Christ and his shed blood. And now, Father, we also believe that you fulfilled your promise that it's good that I go away because if I go away, the Father will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, in my place. And so, Father, we invite this same Holy Spirit to come in here now and live in us, live powerfully in us. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, so that we can stop trying to do this on our own, so that we can stop being guilt-motivated and and be love-motivated in the power and the context of relationship in your Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit. Church, stand with me. Come, Holy Spirit. I invite you to join me. I invite you just to say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I invite you to open up your heart that you would invite Jesus to come and live inside of you in the power of his spirit. You may respond however you're led to respond. If you want to come up, come up. But just uh, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit as you seek filling and encounter.